Welcome to Failing Forward. Today I'm joined by Zachary Vineyard from One Acre Fund to talk about breaking inward. How do we design experimental programming, especially digital programming, so when it breaks, the risk is to the organization and not to the farmer? Zachary, can you introduce yourself for our audience today? Thanks for having me on here. My name is Zachary Vineyard. I work for One Acre Fund uh, on our global technology team. I own our portfolio of client-facing tech innovations. Why is it important for us to be talking about failure? Well, I mean, I think especially in the technology sphere, as it intersects with development, there are are lots and lots of repeated examples of failure. And really the only way that we can get better and deliver better results for in the milieus that we're working in are, are you know, learning from those failures. I think failure is frequently just a, a gift that you get to uh, learn more and do better things in the future. So what are the failures or the failure you're gonna talk about today? I'm gonna to talk about our failure to understand sort of the, the, the needs for human infrastructure and human interaction when you're deploying a tech product or a client-facing tech product in the development sector. Um, and I'm gonna pull on two examples to, to, to illustrate that. And so, you know, my first example that I'm gonna pull on is um, over the years, One Acre Fund has really tried to transition towards mobile money. And so if you're familiar with mobile money, it's sort of a, it's a tool or uh, it's a, basically money that lives on a phone. So, you know, money that you can use uh, via a USSD system on your phone. And we had great success um, deploying that in Kenya. We transitioned their entire program to mobile money. Um, you know, there are a bunch of hiccups related to the telecom, related to um, sort of training our staff, training on our clients how to use it. But in Kenya, there was already a, a huge portion of the, of the country that used mobile money. There were lots of, uh, lots of successful examples of businesses transitioning to mobile money already. Um, and so when we tried to do the same thing in Rwanda, we tried to transition our entire program to mobile money, we ran into a few hiccups. And basically we really underestimated the amount of, literacy with mobile money, the sort of familiarity with mobile money that our clients may have, would have. We underestimated um, the density of agents that, that were present in the field. We underestimated a lot of the um, just general infrastructural components of rolling something, something like this out. And as a result, we the rollout worked, but it didn't really work in ways that we wanted. We wanted to create, with by rolling out mobile money, we wanted to create a channel by which our clients could avoid some of, um, you know, avoid having to, to work with um, our agents in the field. They could interact with our HQ directly. And we what we found in practice was because there wasn't enough uh, human infrastructure, there wasn't enough uh, mobile money agents in the field, there, people weren't as familiar with use the, the the mobile money itself um, as we had expected we rolled something out that our clients weren't super able to use and so our agents actually took on a lot of our field officers took on a lot of the burden of using the tool and we saw these use patterns of FOs um, our field officers 
actually just taking cash from clients and um, giving it and you know turning it into mobile money themselves, transmitting it to us from their own phones. And it sort of perversely didn't really have the effect that that we wanted. We wanted to make our program easier and simpler for our clients to use. Um, but in practice, we'd added an additional layer of complexity to our staff um, and in a, a sort of a, a, a lack of a uh, sort of a layer of confusion for interacting with it for our clients. And it, it caught us by surprise. We really didn't expect that. We sort of expected to go into this having the Kenya experience, you know, like uh, simple to roll out, some, some hiccups related to the telecom, some hiccups related to sort of training side. Um, but the ways in which our clients interacted with us sort of made us realize that we had really underestimated um, the ways in which the infrastructure specific to Rwanda would impact the, the way that this program rolled out. Um, and as a result, you know, we've, we've, we've changed a lot of things about our program looking forward. You know, we look at digital infrastructure in terms of making sure that we're working with telecoms to um, make sure that there's sufficient mobile money agents in the field. We're working with, uh, working with our staff to make sure that, we're, that they're able to use the tool and that they're able to train others on it. So we, we're making sure that we have um, tools and processes to promote digital literacy uh, in, in the field. And that's become sort of a major focus for us. What were some of the things about the context that drove those assumptions that, well, if it works in Kenya, it's going to work in Rwanda? Why did that happen? I think it's a pattern that I've seen play out, you know, in development sector as a whole more than once. Um, something works somewhere. And the ways in which it will fail in another location or another context or another situation are unexpected. And, you know, it's one of the things that's really hard to understand transplanting something across country lines or even, you know, within the same country is that the context really, really matters. The human infrastructure really, really matters. The ability, um, sort of like what has been built up there over the years. So, digital literacy, um, telecom infrastructure, et cetera, um, really matters to what you are able to transport. And it's difficult to assess what those elements, have been, what those infrastructural elements will be, which infrastructural elements will hurt, will hurt the program before you transport it over. Um, and it's something that, you know, as, as a program, we're really trying to make sure that we understand those better. When we think about mobile money, we think about uh, all of these elements uh, and, you know, making sure that we understand telecom density, making sure that we understand sort of the literacy, um, the digital literacy patterns among the people that we want to work with. Um, and making sure we understand things like phone penetration, just like the number of phones that are available, and then the use patterns of those phones. Is it that is a phone something that somebody uses every day? Is it something that they use every week? Because all of those things can impact um, the success of a, of a tech program if you roll it out. And I expect we're going to make more mistakes, right? Like I, I, I'm not. I, I think that as we move forward, like this is going to be um, an area where we need to have these learning experiences. And I think it's not so much a matter of avoiding these things in the future. You know, we can learn from the things that we've learned from and we can invest a ton of effort into making sure that we're mitigating those risks and making sure that these risks 
don't affect our clients. Um, but we also, we will almost certainly run into something else. And I think the biggest thing we want to do is make sure that we learn from that as we go. And, you know, we, we, we take that experience and translate it into a better outcome for our clients in the future. One of the things you talked about was all of the different steps that agents were taking to support clients when the app wasn't working, when that mobile money solution didn't work from them. How did that come to your attention? How did you get the signal that something wasn't working? Yeah, we see it sort of across a few different lenses. So you can see it in um, testimony or you know just talking to the agent or talking to our field agents. Um, and I think that's probably one of the biggest sources, but that is necessarily anecdotal. Um, and probably, you know, we also can see it in the, the data that comes in. So with mobile money, your, every transaction that comes through comes attached to a phone number. And when you look at the phone number systems, you look at the phone number distribution for a, you know, a site that is using mobile money, you'd expect to see, uh, under the assumptions that we've got used going into it, you'd expect to see uh, a sort of like a one-to-one -one client to phone number matching. Um, and what we found is that, um, you know, somewhere around 10 to 50% of the payments, depending on the site, were being made by a single phone number. And that was an immediate red flag for us, you know, something like, oh, there's the, the phone number distribution doesn't match, there's something going on here. And you can, you know, we can usually match that to one of our staff who's, you know, doing a really good job, you know, making sure that they're providing service to these clients that need it. But it really didn't match our assumptions at HQ in terms of how we expected that to play out. And so I think that's one thing, that's another thing that we've, we le we've learned and we really want to invest in is making sure that we have multiple channels to evaluate what's happened in the field, making sure that we're talking to people who are experiencing it firsthand, making sure that we know what they think about the process that we've rolled out or the tool that we've rolled out. Um, and then you know, making sure that we are, you know, accurately tracking, monitoring the data that's coming in, making sure that we understand and can interpret all of the sources of data that may relate to this, um, this new program that we're trying to implement. If you could do it all over again, what would you do differently? Well, um, I think that, like, Understanding those use patterns is super important. And I think that if you can um, sort of, and we did do this to a certain extent, keep the, the scaling relatively small, starting off at a really, relatively small geographic area and grow to a larger one. And that's something that we did do and I think we did a good job on. Um, I think I would have tried to experiment in areas where we expected it to fail a little bit more dramatically. Um, and I think that's one thing that would have helped us, helped us to understand sort of this outcome. And, uh, you know, the more we can, I, I think one thing that I try and do in all the projects that I work on now um, is put risky projects or, or challenging projects in places where you expect there to be a failure, like try and get it to break because the breaking is it you learn more in it breaking than you learn in it being successful we learn more about how to make things better in the future by breaking our projects than by um by having them work perfectly the first time and how do you do that experimentation and that breaking in ways that doesn't harm your end line clients 
anything that we design that's super experimental, we keep the stakes low so that if it breaks and it ends up having a, an outcome that we didn't expect, it breaks inward and maybe creates a bunch more work for <laughs> the team. Um, but there's there are you know sort of fail safes and paper based solutions that can that can step in to take uh, take and take over when that happens so that it doesn't have any downstream effects for our clients because that's sort of the worst case solution is that you, you conduct an experiment you trial trial a new product you trial something new and um, it results in a bad outcome for the client the our client base that we're working with I love that breaking inward idea of if it breaks who bears the risk and who bears the work I notice, especially in digital, we often will say, oh, it will be so much more efficient. And what we mean is it will be more efficient for me. We don't always mean, or we haven't always thought about, will it be more efficient for the farmer or the woman that we're working with? So thinking about setting that organizational norm, that if it breaks, we do the work to make it easier for her. Um, One Acre Fund is famous for designing solutions in partnership with farmers in partnership with community members and really testing and trying on one acre before you try to go to scale. How do you build and maintain that organizational culture? That's a great question. Um, you know, I think uh, I have to give a lot of credit to our leadership. I think that Andrew Yoon, who's our, our CEO, has really sort of spent a lot of his time making sure that this is a deeply embedded core <laughs> value for everybody who works at the organization from, you know, from him on down. And uh, having that be sort of a very core norm um, makes it a lot easier to, to, to do that. You know, there's nobody, if I need to go test something with a farmer, no one will ever question that. That's a core part of our operation and people are going to be more surprised if we don't do that than if you do. And so I think saying creating it as a norm is maybe an unsatisfying answer, but I think it's probably the best answer that I have. You make it a, port, a core part of your uh, operational strategy. You make it a core part of your operational um, mandate that everything that we do has to uh, has to have been focused on the farmer and we have you know our our motto is farmers first and it's something that we repeat a lot it's something that we try to tie into everything that we do it's harder with tech products uh, I think particularly tech products are, are one of the areas where we have to be a lot more conscious of it we have to make sure that our product managers are you know, interacting with farmers, spending time in the field, spending time talking to people, um, uh, talking to, to our clients about what they need, talking to our field officers about what will make their job easier. And it's something you have to be super conscious of, you have to invest in. Um, and we as an org make sure that the money's always there to make to bring people to the, the field, bring our staff to the field so that they can really feel tied in to what they're doing and as a result build better products and build better programs that really serve the needs of the people there that we're trying to serve. Um, I think that's sort of a core organizational strength of ours and it's one that takes effort from everybody to maintain. And you mentioned that it's harder to do this with digital. What makes it harder? Why is that true? Yeah, I think you know, we could talk about, I think that the, the process of development, you know, the process of 
software development is sort of a field with its own norms and its own incentives. Um, I think it's a field where there are lots of sort of processes that have been built up that don't necessarily support that. And I think when you have a digital product, you have you necessarily have to have a set of developers or a set of vendors who aren't as connected to the farmer as they might be, or you know they can sit sit in the office and code, like office and build solutions. Um, and it takes um, initiative to actually connect those people with the farm with the farmer that we want to work with. Um, and it's doable, right? Like you, but it takes a lot more conscious effort. Um, it means that you have to spend the time to bring people to the field. You have to spend the time to make sure that your tech department knows and values farmers and is spending an appropriate amount of time in the field with them. That they go to the field to talk to farmers to do design. They go to the field to see what happens as it rolls out. And then they go to the field again to see the, you know, the outcomes of their actions. And it, it requires that you pull people out of the office. It requires that you make time in people's schedules, that, that it is something that is organizationally valued beyond just pure output. Um, but ultimately, I think it's something that's extremely worth it. So what's your biggest takeaway here? What's one action that you would recommend to other people based on the things that went wrong for you? Yeah, uh, I think the, this, the, the biggest action is, you know, again, understanding and accounting for it or, uh, the human and economic infrastructure field we're trying to work in. I think the, the places where we made mistakes and sort of and fail in these contexts were places where we didn't fully understand the depth and complexity of the digital literacy challenges, the density of mobile money agents, the need for uh, investment in training in addition to a tech product, the need for the investment in um, creating the space to be able to use those. And I think it's something that is hard to do. You're going to have to sort of step outside of what, what may come naturally in deploying a tech product, um, which, which can be just like putting it into the field and letting it break um, or letting it succeed. But investing in really understanding the infrastructure in which you're trying to deploy something is, you know, will ultimately determine the success or failure of those products. And I'd really recommend that anybody who is in this development space trying to deploy new tech solutions really put a lot of thought into that and really put a lot of time and energy into making sure that they have that understanding that they do that research um, and and integrate that into the design it's interesting when i think about the way we do agricultural programming we would never assume that the market environment in one country was exactly the same in another country right we wouldn't assume that you could buy exactly the same seeds from the same vendors in the same way without diving in and spending some of that time looking at the system. Why do you think we make those assumptions with digital, that it will be the same? I think one, one thing that stands out to me is digital is super portable, right? Like it's something where you can write a piece of code and it'll run on a phone just as well in Rwanda as it will in Kenya, just as well as it will in Malawi. And I think that can, in my experience and having made that sort of um, that made that mistake myself you know it, it's it's tempting to believe that it's tempting to believe that 
I can deploy this product on the same phone and therefore it will have the same effects. And I think that's one thing that you really need to step back from as somebody who's working in a digital product. It's like the, the landscape, the infrastructure is super important. All the things that tech affects are sort of outside of the outside of the phone or the computer on which it's running. All of the effects that we're interested in as develop as people in development are the human effects. You know, whether or not the program works is ultimately whether or not it works for the person using it. That's sort of a different problem from getting code to run on a phone. And so I think sort of disconnecting those, yeah, the, the product may work great, may run great on, a, on the phone, may run great on every phone that we have, and may do exactly what it's designed to do. But if that design doesn't meet the needs or match the needs of the environment in which it's being deployed, then it's not gonna be a successful product. Thanks so much for participating today, Zach. It's really great to hear your stories and reflections. To the audience, thanks for listening. Join us next time when we talk about working with and more importantly supporting local organizations when you're responding to emergencies.